Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Eagle Energy. A quick, simple, and energy boost on the go. Try the plant-based caffeine inhaler at eagle.energy. And also by MyBookie. Go bet with MyBookie. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Bet with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And join me for this episode, and we're going to preview these Georgia Bulldogs and the Florida Gators meeting here in Jacksonville with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site, ReadAndReaction.com. Will, it was a bye week. Um, we got a little bit of rest until uh, about chopped my nose off yesterday. <laughs> well, you look good. You, you, you've you managed to make it so that you're not just a face for radio for, yeah. the, uh, for the podcast today. So shout certainly out my, shout out to my wife there uh, helping me out here. <laughs> well, so the, the question that everybody's going to be asking is, yeah. are you wearing makeup? No, no makeup. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube version, it's a uh, surgical tape there so uh my wife is a uh, skin cancer nurse uh so as soon as i uh ran into a piece of metal and uh slit my nose wide open uh she made a phone call and from cut to stitches all was done in about 45 minute window well you know you yeah. can barely tell if you hadn't been posting it on twitter so people yeah. could make fun of you after you had the uh the gauze all over your face i'm not sure anybody would have said anything well, that's the thing. Like, I didn't know what I would look like today, so I wanted to go ahead and get in front of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, probably, I put that picture out there for no reason, apparently. But uh, you know, I know people will have good fun with it. Uh, I don't take Twitter too serious, uh, so uh, you know, uh, I know Christopher Zinn uh, out there. Chris, he will have he'll have good fun with it. He's already had good fun with it. Silk has had fun with it too. But uh, all in good fun. But uh, yeah, pretty painful Sunday for me. Man, I'm just, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you got both your eyes, man. That yeah, sounds like, uh, you know, whenever it gets that close, you start to, uh, start to be concerned about the really important things, but, uh, yeah. glad you're okay. and still looking pretty, man. All right. Yeah. There we go. So before we dive into this, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes, as well as the articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. We'll have plenty Plenty Florida Georgia coverage this week uh, with the game here in Jacksonville, TV station, News for Jacks, Channel 4. I work for 
we'll have you covered. If you're coming into town, make sure you're tuning in to WGXT. We will have Florida Georgia covered uh, all week like crazy. Also, catch the podcast, Gators Breakdown, on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Now on Spotify. I mean, re- and when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Will, it was supposed to be a uh, relaxing bye week, but uh, of course, I, I can't ignore the uh, elephant in the room. And no, not my nose uh, from 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 uh, last last week. Uh, and so, uh, as many as you know. Uh, there were some comments made uh, last week by Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel that basically amounted to uh, what we do here on Gators Breakdown and some other uh, on people on the Gator panel uh, of who we are. Uh, we were labeled as couch tweeters, Will. So, uh, you know, if we, if we don't travel with the team on road games and ask questions in press conferences, then our opinion is uh, invalid. Well, uh, I didn't have to defend myself much on that because many of you out there did that for me and for us as a whole. And uh, look, I, I, like I, said, I just mentioned, I work at a TV station. And I, I know it's hard work covering a football team in a, in a traditional medium. Uh, you know, we're finding out ways to, to get news items out on TV and online. And uh, there's still a need for uh, covering the beat of a team. But uh, there's also other ways to cover a team. And I basically started Gators Breakdown because of uh, the type of thoughts on the Gators I shared got popular on Twitter. And I wanted to put those thoughts out there in another form. And there was something I wasn't getting from what was already out there and I wanted to put something together and it caught on. So, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of time away from my family goes into putting this podcast together. And I'm so glad many of you out there enjoy it and showed it, uh, you know, with the full bore last week. Uh, you know, the thing that surprised me the most from Edgar's comments were they were unprovoked, unsolicited remarks. Uh, he honestly has no idea what type of person I am or we are or what we do here. So a big thank you uh, to all you out there and that support that support what we do. Honestly, defended what we do here on Gators Breakdown and other podcasters, writers, and bloggers out there. Uh, the way we consume information is ever changing, and that's very apparent after last week. Uh, so thanks to all who sent comments, direct messages. Uh, Edgar did eventually apologize, not to me personally, uh, the next night on Buddy Martin's show, but you know mostly due to your outspoken support of the way we cover the Gators here on Gators Breakdown. So once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the listeners out there for uh, everything that happened last week, Will. Yeah, man, I was in Las Vegas working <laughs> on my real job. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden all hell broke loose on Twitter. I was trying to figure out what was going on. But, you know, I, I tweeted out my feelings on this. I, I think it's very similar to what to what you feel, which is that we're lucky to do what we do. But it also does take time and effort and energy and, you know, come in here and be prepared for a podcast so that we're giving people something that's different than what they can get from people who are on the beat is is what we're trying to do. And sometimes we probably do it well and sometimes we do it not so well. But I think I think the vast majority of the time we're informed and our opinions are informed. And quite honestly, we're doing something different than the people on the beat. Like my job can't be to ask Mullen questions. I live in Philadelphia. Like I get down for games when I can, but I can't go down every weekend. And so um, in fact, read and reaction is specifically designed to not have access. It's supposed to be something that's independent from, you know, at no point does anything I write rely on relationships with players, coaches, or, or anybody else. And, and, and that's intentional. So, um, you know, 
And, and, and Edgar, even in his comments, kind of made it clear why we exist. He was talking about deadlines and not being able to watch the entire game and not seeing formations and things like that. That's fine. I don't expect him to do that sort of thing. I expect the, the beat coverage that he's provided, and, and that's fine, and I'm sure he does a good job. But if you can't watch the game, other people can, and then they can comment on it and 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 talk about coverages and formations and things that were changed and and all that sort of stuff and and what the statistical profile of a team looks like in the broader context of the season and the SEC and and the country and that's sort of what we try to do so it's just different it's nothing good it's nothing bad it's just different and and I think there's room for multiple opinions and I think at the end of the day the best ideas are going to win and I think in many cases that's why some of the traditional media is being forced to change just because of the way people consume information Yep, yep. Ever-changing world out there, believe me. We fight it every day at the TV station I work for and trying to figure things out. And, you know, I got out in front of it with this with this podcast and uh, teamed up with the TV station at the WJXT. And we're one big uh, happy family there with Gators Breakdown and, and, and sharing it out there. So, uh, you know, a lot of Gators coverage out there, plenty of ways to do it. And first and foremost, Will, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and it takes a lot of time to, to do what we do, but it is first and foremost fun. And the moment it loses its fun is the moment I won't do it anymore. Yeah, well, you know, we I mean, this all started out as a hobby. Yeah. Right? It would say, let's write about it because people we talked to, you know, were like for me, it was like, well, I'm gonna talk to my dad about this stuff anyway. So so I may as well have a broader audience to talk to. Um, you know, and it sort of morphed from there. And and, you know, as you said, this isn't our full time job. This is something that we just do really as a as a hobby and it's starting to grow into something that's more significant than that. And, you know, we're thankful for that. But at the end of the day, it's not what puts food on the table or pays the bills. <laughs> and so, you know, again, I think some of the the expectations of what someone in the media is are changing. And people who can change with it are going to survive and those who can't aren't. So um, I'm happy to be on our side because I think we're um, providing something that hasn't been provided in the past and provide something of value, hopefully. And certainly everyone's support over the last week with, with all the stuff that's going on, I think is proof of that. And also, you know, we're very, very appreciative of that kind of support. Absolutely. So, and uh, you know, a bye week was supposed to be uneventful. Well, it was pretty eventful. So, <laughs> so here we go. Now let's talk some football. We'll move all move past all that, and uh, we'll move on to these hated Georgia Bulldogs. Will it's now a top ten matchup between Florida and Georgia? College game day is going to be here in Jacksonville. ACC Nation is going to be here in Jacksonville. Uh, the first time ever, both pregame shows have been at the same regular season matchup. Uh, as many of you know, I, I grew up in Southeast Georgia. Some of my best friends are dog fans. I got to brag most years growing up as Florida was kicking Georgia's tail year after year. You know, this is my game. This is uh, the atmosphere I love. There is not a better college football game, in my opinion. Of course, uh, a much different different vibe this week, uh, Will, compared to uh, last year. No death threats, except those except those directed toward Georgia now. Uh, we won't. Uh, we'll, hopefully, you know. Of course, we won't be talking about uh, a report coming out. Uh, about the firing of a head coach leading up to a game. This is number seven, Georgia versus number nine, Florida, the way it should be. Yeah, well, I told you something was going to happen during the bye week. I just <laughs> hoped it wasn't something related to the team. And it turns out we were right. So that's good. It had nothing to do with the team. It's been pretty drama free. Um, you know, this is one of those things where, um, you know, when Jim, when Jim McElwain was winning the East, he really wasn't necessarily, except for that first year when he took on a pretty good Ole Miss team, you know, he didn't really have to plow through anybody that we thought was was really, really good to get to the SEC championship game. Um, 
this year it's different. He's got to go through a team who's pretty good here in order to get there, and Florida's going to earn it. And that's one of the things that I think is exciting about the game is if Florida can pull this game out, then you're looking at a couple of games that they should win in the SEC East. It's it's not definitive, but they're games they should be favored in at that point. And, you know, you got a pretty clear path to Atlanta at that point. So, I, I mean, I guess Kentucky will have to lose again, but, you know, I anticipate Georgia will beat Kentucky. At least that's sort of my 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 thought on that. So, you know, hey, this is Florida's opportunity to earn it. You only get this chance every once in a while to to go out there on the field and really earn a championship. And and this is their opportunity to start that path. Doesn't mean they're going to get there. Doesn't mean they'll win against Georgia. But but you have the opportunity, and that's why you come to Florida if you're a player. It's why you come to Florida if you're Dan Mullen, right? He's talked about winning championships ever since he got here, and and he has an opportunity, and we'll see what he can do with it. This Saturday, Will, would be the sixth time Florida and Georgia both enter their annual matchup ranked in the top 10 of the AP poll. Florida is 3-2 and two in the previous five top 10 matchups and has won the last three. So uh, the last meeting come in 2008 where both teams were ranked in the AP top 10. Will, when the season started, you know, almost you know two months ago, uh, coming into this season, we uh, we didn't see this coming. You know, we uh, we put Georgia up on a pedestal. Uh, I think still rightfully so uh, for what they had coming back and stuff. We did, you and I kind of talked behind the scenes and a lot of the questions that we had about Georgia in our, you know, a, kind of our, our opponent previews before the season started are kind of rearing their head now. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, they're coming off of a loss to LSU, uh, of course, a, in, in blowout fashion. LSU controlled that game, but uh, it's a it's a top 10 matchup and uh, one that was kind of unexpected. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of of some of those Alabama teams when Saban was just building them. You know, they lost to Florida in year two. They beat Florida in year three and won the championship. You know, Alabama kind of reversed that, I guess, where they get to the championship game last year. And you wonder whether they're going to take a step back. I mean, Florida did that in 2007 after a really successful 2006. And then 2008 was really good. I mean, I, I don't think Georgia's going away, but I think – I think one of the things that's really important about this game is that, you know, Urban Meyer very much put, and and Spurrier as well, really put emphasis on the rivalry games. And that was a place where Florida excelled under both coaches. And, you know, this is, again, Mullen already beat Tennessee. He already beat LSU, which is becoming a rivalry. Um, you know, if, if he can beat Georgia and he can beat Florida State, that really puts a mark on on the recruiting trail, maybe not for 2019, but certainly for 2020, that that Florida is going to be a force to be reckoned with on the recruiting trail, just because they're taking care of their rivals. So, um, you know, this is this is again the I guess third step this year towards doing that, and uh, you know we'll see what Mullen can come up with because he certainly has proven better than I think I thought that he would be able to do with the team this year, and and you know kudos to him, but <laughs> but this is this is this is the big boys, oh, yeah. and, and we'll see how he can do. All right, Will, of course, we know games coming off of a bye week. And I, uh, of course, went back and looked. Dan Mullen, 6-4 and four coming off of a bye week. Of course, all at Mississippi State. And let's go back and look at the 2009 versus Alabama, 31-3 loss. No shame there. 2010, losing to Alabama again, 30-10. to 10, uh, And another loss there. Let's switch it up. Schedule, uh, you know, <laughs> I wondered if they had something to do with this, uh, changing it, not playing Alabama. Uh, but, you know, after a bye week, but then 2011 versus Kentucky, 28 to 16 win. 2012 versus Kentucky, a 30 to 10 win. 2013 versus LSU, a 59 to 26 loss. 2014, the year Mississippi State uh, was number one at one time. They had two bye weeks that year. So the first one was uh, they played Texas A&M the week after, a 48 to 31 win, and then against Kentucky, a 45 to 31 win. 
So both uh, we got both wins there with two bye weeks. 2015 versus Missouri, a 31 to 13 win. 2016 versus Auburn, a 38 to 14 loss. And 2017 against BYU last year, a 35 to 10 win. So we'll you know one, two, three, four, five, four out of the last five off of bye weeks. Dan Mullen has won. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, I mean, both teams are coming off of a bye week, so I don't know that there's a huge advantage there. What I will say is that it's an opportunity to get healthy, and in the past, that's really been that's really been important for Florida. So um, from 2005 to 2015, this is something I wrote for SEC Country a couple of years ago, but from 05 to 15, Florida was 3-8 and eight heading into their bye week. And then over that same span, they were 9-2 and two after the bye week. Oh, and wow. typically that bye week heads into a game against Georgia or a significant mm-hmm. game along the way. And so the, you know, there were seven, oppo- seven opponents who were ranked before the bye, six opponents who were ranked after the bye. Um, you know, the, the point differentials were, were significantly larger after the bye than before. So the bye game cl- or the bye week clearly has an impact on whether Florida play, wh- whether Florida looks sharp or not. And that's to be expected because, you know, you get three qu- or halfway through the season and you get banged up and you get tired. And, you know, I think we saw that in the first half against Vanderbilt and, you know, they were sort of, they were sort of lackluster and maybe didn't quite have the energy that they needed. And then Derek Mason fired him up and, and that was the end on that side. Um, but I don't expect him to start out slow against Georgia, I think. And the same thing applies to Georgia too. I mean, Georgia, right. you know, got beat up against LSU and obviously is going to spend the two weeks sort of looking at film, figuring out what they did wrong um, and figuring out what, Todd Grantham is going to do against Jake Fromm that's similar to what LSU did against Fromm and, and, and how Florida might be able to stop him and how they can combat that. So I don't know that there's necessarily an advantage. I think what it does say is that we're going to get the best game from both teams. Yeah, you know, and I, I tweeted this right before showtime as well, and the, the quote was, I keep hearing how Georgia's going to show up fired up because they lost to LSU. Uh, and I you know, posed the question, do you think Florida is happy with the way they played against Vanderbilt or forgot what happened last year against Georgia? So, you know, all that emotion, and I've always kind of felt this way. You know, I think there's only a few games where emotion kind of takes you through the flow of an entire game. You know, I, one I go back to is probably the, the 2006 National Championship game against Ohio State. Uh, that team here in all offseason or, you know, leading up to that game that they could not beat Ohio State and end up just, you know, just trouncing them. But to me, most of the time, all that emotion really doesn't matter after the first few few plays, first few drives. It's really all about the preparation to win and showing up to win. Yeah, the only place it matters, I think, is when you talk about coaching specifically and whether a team gets out of control, especially early on. So if if Florida is able to um, to get up quickly, seven nothing, ten nothing, fourteen nothing, and Georgia starts to panic, you you do wonder whether that emotion starts to cause things like penalties and jumping off sides and roughing the passer and you know maybe some unsportsmanlike like conduct penalties, things like that where it gets chippy because you're behind, something like that. I, I, I think Mullen's teams have typically proven that they're relatively disciplined and that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I don't know that Kirby Smart has had to run into that at Georgia yet. I mean, in his first year, they weren't really expected to win. In his second year, they lost to Auburn, but obviously still made it to the national championship game. And then now in, in the third year, they're coming off some of some adversity there against, uh, against LSU. And if they run into adversity again, particularly early on, you wonder whether, um, 
you know, Smart hasn't been through it. He's only been a head coach for three years, whereas I think we know Mullen's been through it. So I do think from a coaching perspective, um, Florida has a has a pretty significant adv- – or it would appear Florida has a significant advantage. doesn't mean they do, but I think it means that, you know, we can look at that and say we know how Mullen's team is going to react. We're not entirely sure how Smart's team will, and, and that may be an advantage for Florida. Yeah, well, and also going back and leading up to this game, you know, Georgia's schedule, you know, the, the, the best team they've played is – LSU and they got trounced and that's a team Florida beat uh, as well. You go and look at their schedule and, uh, I, and don't get me wrong. I think Georgia is a really good team. You know, you know, I think we'll see how, I think we'll see they're, they're a good Saturday and then we'll see how it comes apart, but who's the best win on the schedule right now? You know, a 41 to 17 win versus South Carolina, uh, a 43, 29 win over Missouri or a 38, 12 win over Tennessee. You know, they still, you know, they caught, they probably could have gotten it, gotten it against um, LSU that would have been their signature win so far the season much like Florida but you know they, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat and they're kind of still looking for that signature win of the season yeah I mean so if you look at F- FPI Missouri and LSU are the only top 25 teams that they've played thus far and those are the teams that Fromm has played the worst against um, and anybody who watched that Missouri game I mean that was the weekend of the Tennessee game so I was down in Knoxville watching it with my brother and my brother-in-law and we weren't overly impressed with the way Georgia was moving the ball there were a lot of turnovers by Missouri and sort of mistakes by by the Tigers that, that allowed Georgia to pull away it wasn't something where I really felt like Georgia was winning the game it was more I thought Missouri was shooting themselves in the foot um, you know, I, I think the the place where Florida fans can take solace is that is that Jake Fromm is a really good quarterback, but he has been significantly worse away from Athens, and he's been even worse against top twenty five opponents. And you can that typically happens. I mean, typically at home you play better than you do on the road. Typically against top twenty five top twenty five teams, you're going to play. Um, you know, you're going to play worse than you would against, you know, Appalachian State or, or whatever, you know, whatever you might imagine. But this is two years in a row now. So from against top 20, top, top 25 teams last year. And remember, this includes Alabama, it includes Auburn twice, it includes Oklahoma, had a QB rating of 138.4. And this year he's got a QB rating of 132.6 in the game against Missouri and the game against LSU. Um, away from home, he was 141.1. And 144.3 this year. And then at home, he was 188.2 last year and 197 this year. So his overall QB rating, I think, is in the 170s. But um, some of that is home fluff against teams that are ranked 60th and below in the FPI. And and when they've had to play real defenses, he struggled. And I think that's something that we need to watch for. It's something we saw against LSU. The question is, is Florida going to be able to exploit some of those same things? Yeah, I think he's a better player than what he showed against LSU, but he, he didn't have it that game. They're going to use the bye week probably to try to figure some things out. You know, he's a you know, he, he can thrive in this offense if, to me, he's not asked to carry the load a whole lot and they rely on that running game. You know, we, Holyfield uh, there and DeAndre Swift, you know, we'll see uh, that that tandem, they, they probably should get the ball more. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Georgia will work on that uh, you know, the, in the bye week uh, and this week's practice as well. Uh, but, you know, going back to Fromm there, it's just uh, I don't think you're going to need or the need shouldn't be there to ask him to, to carry the team. You know, it should be relying on this run game. And especially coming off of that LSU game, you know, there's a ton of questions out there. Oh, should Justin Fields start or should Justin Fields get more playing time? 
Um, wonder how that creeps into the to the whole situation. So I think that's part of coaching too that maybe Kirby Smart necessarily hasn't had to deal with yet. And you know, we'll see how you know behind the scenes uh, we can't see what's going on, but we'll see how they handle it in just a, a few short days here. But and um, I don't think Fromm is quite as bad as what he showed against LSU. And I know you will go to uh, things you saw. You saw some things LSU did to confuse him. And maybe, you know, Florida picked up on that. I'm sure, you know, Georgia saw those things as well. I'm going to work on uh, some of those weaknesses and, and try um, and try to help from. I still think step one of helping from is relying on those running backs more than his arm. Yeah, there are a couple things there. I, I think one of the things you look for, and I think it's one of the things that Mullen admitted to after the Kentucky game, is that as a coach, you don't want to panic yeah. when you fall behind. And, you know, Felipe Franks threw the ball way too much in that Kentucky game and, and Florida paid the penalty for it. And Mullen admitted to that after the fact that he thought maybe they went away from their game plan too early in that particular game. And I think you see the same thing with Georgia this year. So if you look at their home games, their 68% of their total plays are rushing plays and they're averaging 6.1 yards per carry. Last year, they averaged six and they were up at 73%. The difference that the team has had this year is away last year, they were 5.7 yards per attempt and away from home this year, they're at 4.7. So the Missouri game and the LSU game were both on the road. So they were playing better defenses and they got, and the running game was not getting the same push that it got last year. And, you know, we talked in our preview about how, you know, Michelle and, and Chubb are, you know, were elite guys. And even though they've got players like Swift, uh, and Holyfield, that those guys probably are not going to be as explosive as as Michelle. Like it's the same thing with Florida trying to replace Percy Harvin every year. Um, you know, Harvin it was a transcendent player. You can bring in a very good player who's a five star candidate. The fact that he's going to be just as effective as Harvin is really was always pretty laughable. And I think I think George is seeing sort of the same thing. And then if you look at top twenty five opponents. They've dropped from last year, they were at 4.7. This year, they're at 4.3. So really, they're going from 6.1 yards per attempt at home against sort of middling teams to 4.3 yards per carry um, against top 25 teams. And 55% of their total plays are rushing plays compared to 68% um, when they're rushing the ball well. Now, I mean, it's not rocket science that when you don't rush the ball as well, you're going to have to throw the ball more. But I do think that that does indicate a, an unwillingness to stick with the run. Even when they're not get, you know, even when they're only getting a yard or two, and I think you saw that in the second half against LSU in particular. Now, part of it was they were down sixteen nothing, but they were really sort of gashing LSU early with the running game with Holyfield specifically, and they didn't really go back to it. They left a lot of it on Fromm's shoulders, and he just wasn't capable of doing that. So, you know, you look at where Florida really needs to focus. I think one of the areas that they need to focus is forcing Georgia into situations where. Um, you know, the ball has to be put in Fromm's hands, which is a weird thing to say because, you know, Fromm is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. But I do think that, you know, just forcing him into those third and eight, third and nines are spaces where he's not comfortable. And there are some things you can do on defense to confuse him. And LSU was able to do that. Yeah. So uh, I really do think Georgia's going to come in and, and ride Holyfield Swift. Uh, they, uh, you know, you look at them, they probably should at least have a combined 25, 25 carries a game. Um, Holyfield only seven carries against LSU. That can't happen. Um, and, uh, you know, they should be up to what 30, 35 touches a game. You, you would think with, with what they can do and the type of offense they run as well. Uh, Holyfield averaged eight yards per carry, but only seven opportunities against LSU. Uh, Swift was 72 yards on 12 carries. So only 19 carries 
against LSU in a, in, in a game, you know, on the road, you want to go run the ball. Uh, and I think, like you said, you know, they they just really did abandon it too too early there, and uh, kind of maybe yeah, maybe even panicked a little bit. So Swift's averaging over um, just averaging just over ten yards, uh, ten touches a game, over five yards per carry. Uh, he has been slowed down by groin injury a little bit um, and uh, minor ankle injury as well. So we'll see uh, what that does. Holyfield getting the ball fewer than ten times per game, but picking up about seven and a half yards a carry. Uh, so you know they're gonna they're they're gonna carry the ball versus Florida, no, no doubt about that. I think uh, this bye week and things you've picked up on things we saw in the LSU game as well. Uh, I, I really do think they are just going to concentrate on on getting those guys the ball. And we've seen you know we go back and I hate to bring it up, but it is you know Florida's only loss of the season. Um, you go get back to Kentucky game, but so many things have changed. Players play on the field. They're playing a lot better, filling gaps a lot better. Uh, we saw early against LSU, their first drive of the game, being able to, to march down the field. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, before uh, Vaughn went down, was able to, to hit some runs. So I think looking at these two running backs and what Florida can do, should do, is you got to limit those. You got to limit those home run runs. Uh, you know, if they're if they're getting some chunk yardage. Uh, you can live with that. Sometimes, you know, you would you see how Florida's defense reacts in the red zone a good bit of times. The whole team's strong there. But you go back to Florida, you know, last year's Florida Georgia game and how, how that game played out. You, you can't have those, you know, and I, don't get me wrong. I know the mindset of the team, and we've heard it a whole lot today uh, in the press conferences. Just McElwain telling the team he's pretty much fired before the game started. There's no telling where that team was at mentally uh, there. But you know, you got you got to stop those big home run runs. You you make them work for every run and not give up those big time home run runs. Then I kind of I really like Florida's chances here to, to stay in this game, and if it's a close game late in this game, I think I trust this staff uh, to end up pulling it out in the end. And I think it really relies on stopping these big gigantic runs from these two Georgia running backs. Well, and that's one of the spaces where I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Georgia does because. As good as Holyfield and Swift are, they're kind of mismatched pieces right now. So Holyfield is averaging many more yards per carry when they give him the ball, but they want Swift out there in the passing game. Mm-hmm. And so he's out, but but Swift isn't very good at pass protection. So they have to put him out on the routes if if he's actually if he's in there on a passing down. And so what you saw is they would bring in Holyfield on passing downs, but then they wouldn't throw the ball to Holyfield. And so there, you know, on the, some of those third down plays against LSU, there really wasn't an outlet to the running back in in many of those plays because they don't typically throw to Holyfield. So it, it's weird that their pass catching running back isn't the guy they trust in pass protection. And the guy who's the better running back isn't the guy they want running routes on first and second down. So I'm not sure they've really figured out what their usage pattern for these two guys should be. And I think some of that confusion may be one of the things is that's leading to, um, you know, to, to some of the offensive issues that they're having, particularly on the road um, with some of the communication you get when it gets loud and, and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it was just, it was interesting when I was watching the LSU film, I was surprised that Holyfield was coming in on third down to pass protect an awful lot. You would assume that would be swift since he's the guy they like to throw the ball to. And that just wasn't the case. Yeah. And I think some of it goes to this um, offensive line too, for Georgia. Uh, they've had the same offensive line for the last three games now, and they've had a bye week to get it ready uh, to, to, to kind of, you know, get that, get, get a little bit healthy. Like I said, they've been injured. Uh, so, you know, you see maybe this, this front five hit a stride there. Uh, like I said, battle, battled some injuries uh, this year, uh, left tackle and both guard spots. Uh, you know, they, 
their, their pass protection, I think, kind of been surprising a little bit. They're going they're really back to that Tennessee game. You know, they had some lucky plays there. But, you know, Fromm's been getting hit a little bit more this year than I kind of expected, you know, going back to last year. You know, some protection breakdowns and, um, you know, they're not also just not consistent uh, in the run game, kind of what we just kind of pointed out there. So, you know, they're playing out, they are playing some young guys. Um, uh, there, there as well, Cade Mills, Cade, Cade Mays, and Trey Hill, uh, getting some experience. But, uh, this was a group, uh, the injuries may be playing a part in it, but this was a group that I kind of expected more out of. They're playing good, but I, this is one group I kind of expected to be elite. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we're picking apart the Georgia offense, considering that's actually the better unit this year. (laughs) So, I mean, last year they ranked ninth in yards per play. This year they rank 11th. They're a little bit worse in the running game, going from 6.0 yards per game to 5.4, but they're better in the passing game, going from 8.7 to 9.4. So, you know, compared to last year, it's basically a wash. The only thing you might say is that it's a wash against worse competition compared to what they played last year, particularly Mm -hmm. towards the end of the year. Um, You know, you I think you said it best that they're they're a little bit choppy, particularly in that game against LSU. But I think there's also some recency bias there. I mean, again, I, yeah. I think back to the Missouri game, and I'm like, well, not everything's kicking on all cylinders. They still won the game by like what 25 points. <laughs> so it's not, so it's not as if it's it's not as if that game was ever in doubt. And they were sort of probably playing with Missouri a little bit. Um, you know, but but I think there are legitimate concerns. I think there's there are concerns that. Um, that Fromm isn't necessarily growing in, in John Cheney's offense. And, you know, one of the things you and I've been talking about behind the scenes is just tight end usage. And the idea that, you know, in 2016 with Jacob Eason, the tight ends caught 41 balls and the wide receivers caught 131. Last year, it was 22 balls to the tight ends and 131 to the wide receivers. So basically the wide receivers were being targeted just as often, but the tight ends weren't getting the ball as much. This year, they're up to 20, so they're kind of on pace for 34. But still, I mean, Nada has been there 16, 17, and 18. He caught more balls in 16 than he has in 17 and 18 combined. And that just doesn't make – so, I mean, clearly Jim Chaney's offense can target the tight end. It just doesn't with Fromm. And every time you you watch Fromm play, he's throwing the ball to the outside an awful lot. Um and it's just it's not something that Jim Cheney did in 2016. Now, you could make the argument that Georgia's offense wasn't all that great in 2016 <laughs> and that perhaps, you know, what they're really doing is sort of modifying the offense to go to to go to from strengths, but you know, to get the ball to Nauta against LSU last week, they were actually splitting him out wide and and throwing like back shoulder throws where they had him essentially as a as a wide receiver and you know, when you've got a five-star tight end, you would figure that you would utilize him in close like a Gronkowski or something like that where you get him on a linebacker and isolate him down the middle, and they just don't do that very often. Yeah, it really is surprising. And I hear a lot of my, my Georgia friends talk about it too is the, the lack of using tight ends, and it kind of uh, is a mystery to them too <laughs> as well uh, for, for uh, not getting the usage uh, of the tight end and how much the, or just lack of – she's using the big target there and uh, – there. So I, I will be interested to see, you know, I don't expect it to kind of just uh, magically appear and, and show up, especially with, you know, you've pointed out many times the improvement of us on Joseph in coverage. Uh, and you know, I'm sure we'll continue to see him in that area too. But, you know, if Georgia doesn't run it a lot, it does, you know, it, it, is it one of those just one big plays you might, you, you might see, or you might get. So it's something you still have to be prepared for something for Sean Joseph had to be prepared for, but uh, I do worry when you, know, when you pick up on trends like that, that they don't use it a whole lot. This is, you know, maybe the type of game where you see one big play with that type of player. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, um, Nada is possible is is capable of hitting a big play down the center of the field. I do think that they might go back to to trying to convince Fromm to go down the middle of the field because, I mean, if I'm if I'm Florida, I'm squeezing the outside. <laughs> that's where that's where, that's where Fromm wants to go. It's where he's wanted to go for two straight years. When you when you looked at the film against LSU, even when the formation dictated that there was stuff going to open up over the middle. He was still thrown outside to his receivers, sort of, you know, his pre-snap read indicated he should go, he should look up the middle. The post-snap read was saying he should go up the middle and he was still throwing wide to his receivers. Now he's talented enough and those players are talented enough. that They can still move the ball that way. Um, but once you get up against better defenses, and I think this is kind of what we're seeing when I look at the top 25 defenses and how Fromm plays and how their offense plays, I think what we're seeing is when you're playing against inferior athletes, your wide receivers can beat the corner even if the corner is there and in the right position. And once you start playing against athletes who are pretty close to where you are, you can't do that anymore. And I think you saw that against LSU, that there were plays where, you know, that there was one play in particular that I'm thinking about where Delpit came in, um, LSU safety Delpit came in and sort of, there was a play action fake and he took one step forward. And then all of a sudden he started backpedaling and he got in the lane in the zone. And that's not something that, uh, that a linebacker from, from Appalachian state is going to be able to do. It was just, you know, they have, they have the ability to put a safety down in that spot, have him drop down to the line of scrimmage and get back into coverage. And coincidentally, Florida has a guy who does that too. So Chauncey Gardner, Gardner Johnson is that is essentially Grant Delpit when you when you talk about the defenses and the way they're designed. And, you know, again, that sort of athlete is going to be able to recover even if he's tricked. And so, you know, even in cases where Georgia seemed like they had the advantage, LSU was able to get back and was able to force Fromm into a difficult play. They didn't win all of them. I mean, Georgia was able to move the ball a little bit, but certainly um, was able to stop Fromm and, and, make, and force him into his worst game of the year. All right, before we move on to the Georgia defense and uh, look, take a look back at our preseason over-unders and uh, where we lay uh, with, with those numbers there. Uh, you, you guys out there know I'm always on the go. Love, I love spending time with my wife and, and four-year-old daughter. Have a full-time job in addition to, to what I do here on Gators Breakdown. And during football season is a busy, busy, but fun time. So traveling to the swamp, tailgating, watching the game, all these things add up, and I need to be alert and ready to go. And that's why I'm a big fan of Eagle Energy. Eagle Energy is a plant-based caffeine inhaler that provides an effective and fast-acting energy boost via inhalation. Now, I've done the energy drink dance, but Eagle Energy is the way to go. No sugar, no calories, and the effects only take a few minutes with no jitterness or that sudden crash. So in these busy game days or in your busy life, give Eagle Energy a try. Visit Eagle.energy to learn more or to try Eagle Energy. That's Eagle.energy to try a natural, longer-lasting caffeine solution. Eagle Energy, energy reformed. Hey, and let's go win some money out there. Uh, sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard me talking about this for weeks, a lot of weeks now, and some of you out there still haven't taken action or still sitting on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy or gal out there that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay, pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you can turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on right now. The World Series, baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. I use them. My friends use them. 
MyBookie has been in the business for years and they've got great online reviews and their mobile site is easy to use. And they're still offering a 100% bonus for the last time this year. That's right. If you've been thinking about placing a pick all year and haven't manned up yet, well, it's time to go make your move. After Sunday's kickoff, you can kiss this bonus goodbye. Also, make sure to follow it. Bet my bookie at bet my bookie on Twitter and Instagram. They personally respond to every mention and direct message. Not to mention, they give away nearly ten thousand dollars in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. So log on to my bookie right now. Don't miss out on the last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code Gators and you'll get your first deposit matched one hundred percent. That's promo code Gators. My bookie, you play, you win. You get paid. Well, uh, we move to this defensive side for for Georgia and the concerning issue as of late is that defensive line. And uh, they were down three players against LSU. Um, inside linebackers also causing a problem. And what Kirby Smart will say right now is they're doing a poor job tackling, poor poor uh, run gap fits. And uh, it's kind of obvious now that they are missing a leader like Rokon Smith on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you when you look at their when, when you look at their actual numbers, though, the space they're the space they're really struggling is in the running game. So they're ranked seventieth in yards per rush after being thirty second last year. And their defense has gone from seventh to 29th, Again, when you look at yards per play, so the defense has gone down about you know twenty two spots. The yards per pass is pretty similar, but the yards per rush has been much worse. And you know, we 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 made fun of Tennessee during our uh, preseason preview, having safeties leading the way in tackling and Richard LeCount, the safety for Georgia is their leading tackler with 40, but he's only got a half a tackle for loss and he doesn't have any sacks. And so he's not making sacks, but he's not making tackles behind the line of scrimmage. You know, if you, if you looked at Florida and said, Oh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson is up high in, in tackles. That's not reflective of the fact that Florida is getting bowled over on, on, on defense. That's more reflective of he's up at the line of scrimmage, making plays in the backfield. That's not the case here with LeCount. And so, um, you know, certainly the def- that's that's reflective of the defensive line getting knocked back. It's reflective of the linebackers getting caught up on combo blocks by the offensive line and then the safety having to clean it up. And, and I think that's reflected in the rush yardage. And I think that bodes well for Florida because Florida has been a better running team this year than a passing team. Um, you know, Felipe Franks has been a lot better this year, but I don't think anybody's going to mistake him for somebody who's going to win the Heisman. So Florida's 28th ranked in yards per rush they're 50th in yards per pass and so for a team that's trying to exploit what georgia does i think that it fits pretty well with with what florida does and will here's a a good stat here run early so we we know florida struggled on third downs but they might get some reprieve here through seven games so far this season georgia's defense is surrendering 4.91 yards per rush on first down so almost five yards a carry on first down here so uh uh, so these stats come from 24-7 sports here. Uh, conference teams are ranking 4.35 yards per carry on any down. And the only team or team ranked with a winning record the Bulldogs have played, LSU gashed in for 5.39 yards per carry. Uh, so, of course, Georgia, good job of limiting Austin P, South Carolina. But even Middle Tennessee grabbed over four yards per carry against Georgia. Uh, Missouri did the same and scored four touchdowns uh, against Georgia from the 10-yard line in. So uh, also Georgia rebounding against uh, against Tennessee, but Vanderbilt also uh, eclipsed the uh, four yard per carry mark, and it also LSU over five yards uh, carry. So there can be running yards had 
on this Georgia team kind of bodes well for, I think for what Florida wants to do, because as you mentioned, yeah, we're not going to confuse Felipe Franks out there, you know, throwing for 300 yards and throwing 40, 50 times a game. But if this running game gets going early and early in downs, it sets up a lot of play action, sets up uh, some play action that Felipe Franks has been pretty successful on this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you, you always run the ball to set up the pass. And I think one of the things that was interesting about the game against LSU is that LSU really didn't do a whole lot to execute in the passing game. As much as I love Burrow, he hasn't been that great, especially over the last three or four weeks. And and he he wasn't able to exploit, exploit some of the things that Georgia had out there for him. I, I think Franks may actually be able to do that a little bit better. The question is, is Florida going to be able to run as well as, as LSU did? And, you know, one of the things I think Burrow did do very well is there were a few plays where he was able to break longer runs where, you know, he was on the read option. He was keeping the ball and, and Georgia was collapsing. He was able to get around the edge. And and that's something that Franks has shown an ability to do this year as well. It's not something that you think of constantly with him. It's not as if he's running, you know, 17, 18, 19 times a game like a Nick Fitzgerald. But when he has chosen to run, he's been pretty effective. And I think that's one of the things that he's going to have to do. He's going to have to have positive rush yardage for Florida to be successful because I don't necessarily think that the Florida offensive line is going to be able to get enough push to where they're just banging out five, six, seven yards of rush consistently in the game. But I do think that when you get the numbers advantage up front, they've shown that they've been able to do that. And so um, again, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jordan Georgia decides to attack. Do they decide to sit in a zone and just give up six yards a clip and sort of deal with it and make Florida go all the way down the field? Or do they bring guys up in the blitz and then let Frank sort of pick them apart the way he has, um, you know, specifically against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt played a lot of zone and and Florida finally got him to come up and be aggressive there in that second half. And when they did, they were able to make him pay for it. So, you know, a lot of it is the same thing you talked about with Georgia is, you know, in the running game, if Georgia could pop a couple of big runs, well, all of a sudden now the complexion of the game changes. I think the same thing applies to Florida. Um, I'm always going to be somebody who says, I don't care what you do 90% of the plays. The question is, can you hit those explosive plays on the other 10%? Um, you know, if you can hit six, seven, eight explosive plays in the game, you're going to score a bunch of points. If you don't, hit as many explosive plays you're not going to. So um, I'm less concerned with the five-yard run, and you know, I'll take 2 to 20 as, as opposed to, you know, five, five, five. So, um, you know, I think that'll sort of be the, the determining factor is can Franks pop one can, you know, once they start paying attention to Franks, does that open up a crease in the middle? And then does Georgia just decide and get impatient and bring up safety help to try to stop the run? And then is Franks able to hit him over the top? Yeah, the one uh, player Georgia's going to have to watch out for, you know, it does seem like when, when Georgia plays well against Florida, it's usually because they have that one defender on defense that just Florida cannot block. Uh, this year, it may be DeAndre Walker uh, there. He's kind of leading that outside linebacker group right now. Five sacks, six tackles for loss on the year. Uh, better rushing the passer than he has been uh, against the run. But you know, when you look at a guy who can change the game and get into the backfield for this Georgia defense, it's DeAndre Walker right now. Uh, not really a whole lot of consistent pass rush outside of him. No, again, I think this is a place where it sort of favors Florida in terms of, you know, one of the things that I've been very impressed with Mullen is it feels like he's taken away the thing that the opposition mm -hmm. wants to do in every game except Kentucky. So against against Mississippi State, he clearly decided if we take Nick Fitzgerald's running game away, then we're going to be able – we'll deal with him passing the ball. Let's stop him from running. I think when you look at the way they played against LSU, it was very clear that they decided they were going to commit to the run game and make Burrow beat them, and he wasn't able to do it. Um, you know, it was a close game, but he wasn't able to do it. And Vanderbilt, same thing. Like they, they, 
they recognized, um, you know, how, how what they needed to take away from the Vanderbilt game, and they didn't think Shermer could beat them. So, you, you know, you look at this and say, okay, well, you've got will, DeAndre Walker. And before you go to that point, you know, the defense, going to the defense, or what Florida could do on offense, too, against opposing defenses is what they did against Mississippi State and, you know, those wide receiver screen passes over and over again. Well, I mean, it depends on what Georgia decides to do. I mean, if Georgia decides to hang back and make Florida make 14 play drives down the field, then yeah, I don't think Georgia's going to be able to do that, though. And the, the reason I say that is you mentioned DeAndre Walker has five sacks. Georgia has nine total. Yeah. And he's the and only he's, consistent guy. <laughs> and he's got six tackles for loss, and then they got 28 tackles for loss total. So, you know, I always look at tackles for loss as a ratio of total tackles. They're at 6.1%. And the ratio of sacks per total tackles is 2%. That's really, really bad. And so that means even when they're blitzing, they're not getting to the quarterback. And, you know, maybe that's because they're laying back quite a bit and playing a ton of zone. But even then, that means your front four isn't winning. And if your front four isn't winning, you know, one of the ways that you sort of get Franks to 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 struggle is to hit him. I mean, the, the interception he threw against LSU – I think he actually had a guy coming open across the middle. It looked like he might have had Moral Stevens coming open. It would have been a tough play. But the ball just fluttered because he got drilled because the offensive line couldn't block the defensive tackle who, who was coming in on that play. And, and typically when we've seen Franks make mistakes, it's because he's been getting hit. Well, Georgia hasn't shown an ability to get in and hit anybody. So I, I don't necessarily know. Again, I, I look at that and say, okay, if DeAndre Walker's the threat, and Mullen takes a look at that and says, okay, I'm going to take away your best threat. Well, you send a running back over to chip him. You, you know, you, you double team him with the offensive line. You commit more, you run routes that put him in pass in pass uh, defense, as opposed to allowing him to rush the quarterback. You can do things to isolate someone and take them out of the game. And, and in fact, you can even invite him to rush up the field and then run a draw behind him. So, um, you know, there are things I think Mullen will be able to attack because if that's the only place George is getting pressure, well, then if the offensive line can stand up against Georgia and Franks has a lot of time, I, I do think he's going to have the ability to have some success. Yeah, another thing, Will, and going back and, and looking at it as well, is weathering the early storm if you get a bad turnover. I think uh, it was Georgia-South Carolina where they returned a, a pick six uh, for an early score. And also their first score against Missouri was a 64-yard uh, fumble recovery there. Uh, as well, so you know they, they started two two of their conference games against Eastern opponents with early turnovers and and, and and scoring on defense. So that is something you know we've seen Florida bounce back plenty of times this season. Uh, but uh, you know this is you know one of the best teams they've played uh, all year. So you, know, you don't want to you know it, uh, you want to limit the negative things that can happen. And you know so against two opponents this year, Georgia's defense has already put you know put points on the board early in the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously a pick six is not a good way to start the game. But, I mean, I think, again, if we look back at who they were playing, I mean, South Carolina via FPI is 31st, Middle Tennessee State 94th, Missouri 23rd, Tennessee 60th, and Vanderbilt 65th, and then they have one game against an FCS opponent. LSU was 10th. That was a team that had equivalent talent and, you know, Georgia wasn't able to stand up to them. So now you're looking at a team like Florida who is, who's right in that range as well. I think FBI has them at 11th. It's the same level of team. The question is, is Georgia, did Georgia have a bad day or is that who Georgia is? Because if that's who Georgia is, then Florida's going to have a really good shot to win this game. It doesn't mean they're going to win it. I mean, yeah. the, the game against Georgia, the LSU game versus Georgia was, I think, significantly closer than maybe it looked. I mean, it was 16, nothing, but you know, if, if 
Fromm missed an open guy in the end zone on the drive where they where they tried the fake field goal. There are a few things that if they go George's way, maybe that game is considerably different. But I do think it's instructive. You know, I mentioned earlier that they sort of went away from the run. I think it's instructive that Fromm has struggled against top defenses. And I think, you know, when you look at Florida's defense, they're right in there. I mean, Georgia's defense overall is ranked 29th. Florida's is ranked 27th and LSU's is right in that range as well. When you, when you talk about yards per play. So um, they're seeing the same quality of defense. They're actually seeing a very similar type of defense The you know, Aranda runs a very similar defense has a very similar type of players. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Georgia can do. Cause I, I, I think, you know, I, it, Georgia is not as good this year. I, I think that's pretty clear based on the statistics. Um, they are, they seem to be a little bit better on offense. Uh, they're, a little bit worse on defense, just barely. They're kind of equivalent on defense. But then that brings up the special teams where Florida has really excelled. And you know, you talk about big plays, pick sixes, things like that. I think Florida's defense is just as likely to get one of those as Georgia is. Yeah. But I think Florida is probably more likely to get a big play on special teams than Georgia is. And that might be the type of thing that swings the game. Yeah, I can see him concentrating there, you know, because um you know, this is one of those games that's going to be really, really close. And that could be the difference in the game. So well that that kind of it went you know, you t- you're bringing up special teams, and I'm thinking that could be close in a big in a, or big in a close game. And I was going to pose a question to you. I know you'll you'll pick your winner when you release your article later this week. But say it, if it's a if it's a one score game in the fourth quarter, which coaching staff do you feel better about walking out with a win in Jacksonville? I think Mullen. I mean, I, I look at his, you know, he's done really well against teams that have more talent and he's done even better against teams that have less talent now, um, you know, over his career at Mississippi state. And one of the reasons he was really poor against ranked teams is because he was playing teams that had more talent in aggregate on a fairly regular basis, just because of where he was in the sec West. But I still, he won those games at like a 42% clip and most coaches usually win at like 30. So, you know, in a close game, I think Mullen has shown that he typically pulls the right strings. And I think when you look at Kirby, his track record is spotty at best. That game against Alabama last year that they lost, I thought, you know, <laughs> something happened with that coverage. It was either a blown coverage or it was a really poor call where where Alabama got open for the touchdown to win the game. You look two years ago against Tennessee <laughs> where it was just <laughs> – play after play back and forth of, you know, Hail Marys and and just long defensive drives. And really the entire fourth quarter was sort of a, a comedy of errors between Kirby and and Butch Jones. And, you know, that it's still the same coach. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see for me what happens if we get in a close game. I think I trust Mullen more, but I think, again, part of that is that, you know, Mullen was able to learn while he was at Mississippi state and probably lost some games and learned how to coach and learn situations in an environment where he was going five and seven. So, you know, he's, he's coaching a close game against, you know, against some non power five team, Mississippi state pulls it out or loses it. And, you know, nobody freaks out one way or the other. Kirby obviously has had a much more high profile start. And he may be learning some of those lessons that Mullen learned as well. It doesn't mean he's not a good coach or won't be a good coach. It just means he hasn't had the experience. I mean, at the end of the day, you tell me nine years versus three years, which coach do you trust more? I'm, I'm going to say Mullen. Oh, well, it's going to be a fun game, I think. 
Oh man, I mean, you know, I was writing down the the positives, the things that are in Florida's favor, and and the things that are in Georgia's favor, and and I got quite a list on Florida's side. I mean, you know, Fromm hasn't played well against top twenty five opponents. Georgia's defense isn't getting any pressure on anybody. Florida's defense been slightly better than Georgia's. Frank's has actually played better away from Gainesville this season. Um, you know, depth isn't a huge factor because Florida doesn't have any injuries. You know, when we talk about recruiting, really what we're talking about is not necessarily that front line of guys. It's the yeah. wave afterwards. You know, when you get seven or eight games into the SEC and all your guys start dropping, you know, are you pulling out? Are you bringing out a guy who was ranked a hundredth when, when he came out of high school? Or are you pulling out a guy who was ranked a thousandth? And in this case, Florida hasn't had to do that because you know, they haven't had a whole lot of injuries. Um, you know, there's lots of things in Georgia's favor too. I mean, there's a significant advantage on offense. Um, I don't think it's as, it's nowhere near as large as last year. Obviously, I think they still have the talent advantage. So, you know, if, if Fromm goes down, um, you know, you got fields coming in. I, I think that's, you know, whereas if, if Franks goes down, it's like a complete unknown mm-hmm. at, at Florida's quarterback position at this point. Um and you know they are able to pick apart one-on-one coverage when they when LSU played a ton of zone. Now they did a lot of things to confuse from in terms of what they were doing with their safeties and wh- how they were manip- manipulating them after the snap. But when he's got one-on-one coverage, Fromm's about as good as they are. Um, if he knows he's got one-on-one and he knows where to go, he's going to hit those wide receivers outside. One of the things LSU was able to do is they were able to make it look like they were playing one-on-one and then they shifted into a zone. And a few times they looked like they were going to be in one-on-one and they stayed in it. And he thought they were moving to a zone and it sort of, sort of threw him off a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I, yes, I, I expect this game to be relatively close. I mean, obviously if you have some turnovers one way or the other, yeah. it could get out of hand. I, I think George is probably better equipped to come back if Florida gets a fast start, as opposed to if Florida gets if if Georgia has a fast start, I think Florida's going to struggle to come back. You know, against Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt doesn't have a very good defense, and so it wasn't a surprise to see Florida be able to come back. Also, because Florida had played so well on offense, sort of between the twenties until they would make a mistake. Um, I don't think they have the leeway to make those mistakes in this game. They're going to have to play pretty mistake free to win. But you know, if you'd have told me to start the season that I was going to look at this and say it's pretty even. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure I would have believed you. And at this point yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Like this is a pretty even matchup. Um, there are things that favor both teams and, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. It really is. It really is. And uh, so later this week, I'll have Ben Troop uh, joining me here. Uh, he'll give his Florida Georgia thoughts and his memories of the game as well. And I'm trying to work on a, a Georgia guest, Mike Griffith uh, up there for a uh, dog nation. Uh, so I hope to have those guys on. Uh, for the next Gators breakdown. So, Will, let's take a look at uh, some fun over-unders that we did before the season and kind of see where those things stand right now. Some we can write off already. (laughs) So (laughs) that's kind of funny when when things go that way. Uh, And some we'll wait and see how it goes. Uh, But the first one was over-under. Felipe Frank starts seven and a half games. Will, when he takes the field Saturday versus Georgia, it'll be his eighth start of the season. So he will hit that this Saturday and Franks will, uh, yeah, he'll beat that, uh, you know, all, all the questions coming into the season. Uh, and of course going into the camp is, could he beat out Kyle Trask? He definitely has. And he's taken to the coaching of Dan Mullen and has, has really kind of trans- transformed into a, you know, serviceable good quarterback. Yeah, I took the over on this one because I thought Mullen was stubborn and that he was and that he was really gonna that he was gonna once he made the decision, he was gonna ride with him regardless. And I, I actually think that's true. I just think it's probably one of his better qualities is that he's stubborn, right? He, yeah. If you're if if you're if you're right, it's a good thing to be stubborn. 
<laughs> if you're wrong, then it's a bad thing to be stubborn. He's been right about Franks. Franks play really well. And, uh, you know, one of the things in the, in the over-under, I remember basically I thought Franks was going to start the entire year. Yeah. And, and it turns out that he had, or it turns out that he will, I think by the time, by the time we get to the end, unless there's an injury. So, uh, you know, Hey, he, it, nobody deserves it more than that guy. I mean, for all the crap that he took for last year, considering yeah. the coaching staff and I mean, sort of the position he was put in being yanked out of the Michigan game, being yanked out of the Kentucky game, having to come back in after the Del Rio injury um, right at that time is when the death threat stuff started going. I mean, he had the suspensions to start the year. So he lost his best running back and his best wide receiver, um, you know, Congratulations to that guy, because I mean, you know, regardless of what happens this weekend against against Georgia, I mean, Franks has had a heck of a season thus far, and I think he's played better than most of us thought he would, and and that's a testament to him and his ability to uh, to sort of filter out the noise and just focus on getting better, and and he's certainly done that. Well, I have my notes from what I said here. So <laughs> I said uh, I'm going to predict that uh, the first three home games are good for Franks, you know, and they were. He did with the Kentucky loss too. He didn't play absolutely terrible. Uh, so he'll get better every game and be at least serviceable. Uh, the way the schedule breaks, he'll at least get the first four starts of the season. Interesting. Uh, be interested and see how he responds on the road, especially having those two games back to back. So yeah, there we go. Kind of, it did kind of play out that way. I, I really think you know, you go back and look at it. That first game of the season, letting him throw five easy touchdowns. You know, yeah, you get, I guess an overmatched opponent. You know, it kind of looked small at the moment, but you go back and look at it, you know, it was just kind of the first step in the long steps of, you know, maybe some confidence in Felipe Franks. Yeah, he's gotten better every game. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think that I, I mean, I think he played his best at Vanderbilt. And, you know, if he if he does that, if he incrementally gets better against Georgia again, then Florida's gonna be really hard to beat moving forward. And, you know, again, I'm not sure that's something we would have said at the beginning of the year. I mean, you know. Quarterback play determines a lot in terms of your ability to win, and and Franks has been a huge part of Florida being six and one. One will that I was way off on. Uh, and here, here's what I said: I think this one is pretty simple, and I'm definitely taking the over here, and I couldn't be any more wrong. Over or under one thousand yards for Jordan Scarlett, <laughs> <laughs> and he's only got three hundred eighty one right now. So I don't think I'm going to hit that one. Uh, and, I, and I said in a system that'll run the ball more. Well, you know what? That's kind of one surprise we've gotten this season is the Gators aren't running the ball as much as we thought they would because they are getting better quarterback play. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the the thing that I sort of looked at, I said under because just because there are too many backs. Mm -hmm. And that he averaged five yards a rush a few years ago when he was playing, and that means he was going to need 200 carries. And I didn't think he'd get 200 carries with P. Ryan Davis, Pierce, Lemons. Now, obviously, Lemons left. Um, Davis got hurt, but you've got P. Ryan and Pierce. Yeah. And P. Ryan in particular has really gotten the exact same number of carries. I think yeah. what it's like 70 to 69. Yeah, and yardage is really, really close too. So. Yeah, one of the other things was is that even if even if one of these guys really did take the reins, you figured that they were going to spell them just to make sure nobody got nicked. You know that it didn't make a whole lot of sense to give one guy 30 30 rushes. Um, unless you got into a game where he was clearly the best player and you needed him against an LSU or a Georgia or something like that. Um, but you know, why, why waste the guy's bullets when you're, you know, when you're playing, you know, Colorado state. And so, um, you know, Hey, <laughs> every once in a while, I have been right about this team. Um, I'm sure we'll get into some of the ones that I haven't been coming up, but, uh, th this was one, I mean, Scarlett has been exactly who he was two years ago. 
I think people expect, except for pass protection, he has been significantly better in pass protection, which has kept him in the field in, in important situations. Uh, but he's been the same back, and, and that's a solid back, but not an elite back. And that's sort of what he is right now. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just yeah. it is who he is. And, again, I, I don't think it's been a bad year for him. Um, but I do think coming off of the coming off of the break, and uh, and sort of integrating into the offense, and then the competition for carries, um, it's understandable that he's not that he's not over a thousand yards. All right, and then the next one was fifty catches for Van Jefferson over under there. He had forty nine one season, forty two the other season. Uh, so I took the over here. Uh, it's because I what uh, I thought Felipe Franks would get comfortable with one receiver, but as we've seen. Uh, they, uh, Ben Jefferson is the number one, but it's not by a whole large margin here. They have a, a pretty good group of receivers here. So he's only at 19 receptions as of now. So he would basically have to have six catches a game from here on out. Will not going to happen if the season's played out the way, the way it has, uh, so far this year. Uh, does that mean he's been a disappointment or anything by any means? Not, not at all. It's just, uh, I think these receivers, you know, as I said, they're, they're a good group here. They're a lot deeper than I thought they would be. We've seen emergence of, of Hamlin and Swain that they weren't uh, getting getting it done, getting much production under Jim McElwain. Um, they're, they're, they've shown up in some big plays so far this year. So Florida's got a pretty good group of top, uh, top you know, five to six guys at receiver. Yeah, you know, I took the over on this one too. And, and really just because the scuttle was he was the best player in camp. Yeah, And, you know, it either meant that the receivers weren't very good or that Jefferson was ready for a breakout. And, you know, Frank's last year, whenever things got mm-hmm. tight, went to Brandon Powell. Right. And so that was sort of what I was thinking is that when things, when they got a third down that they needed to convert, he was going to have his guy that he was going to go after. And that just hasn't been the case. I mean, it feels like they're completing the ball to 12 different guys every game. I mean, they got Kroll, they got Pitts, they got Cleveland, they got, Grimes, they got all these guys. They're throwing it to the running backs. I mean, they've got all these guys who are catching the ball, and Jefferson is just one of those guys. And and you know that's one of the strengths that Mullen has brought to this offense is that there's an unpredictability that was definitely not there last year, and that's one of the reasons why I think Franks has gotten considerably better. Is just sort of you know when when it's unpredictable, when nobody knows what's coming, uh, it makes it a little bit easier. Things tend to open up. So. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets close to that 50 mark, particularly when you factor in the bowl game, because you figure there's going to be a game or two where maybe they target him more often. Maybe he gets nine or 10 catches, um, you know, but but it's not as <laughs> it's not like that Purdue game the other night where they just kept throwing to the same guy over and over and over and Ohio State couldn't stop him. Um, Florida doesn't have a guy like that. And, you know, if they did, I think I think we'd think his name was Tony, but uh, they don't have a guy like that. And so they've had to spread it around. And that's that's sort of where where the offense has, has settled in. And um, again, I don't think that means Van Jefferson's been a disappointment. It just means he's been one of the brigade and it's, and it's good to have a brigade. Absolutely. Uh, offense over under 30 points a game. Well, they're at 34.4 right now that that is counting the Charleston Southern uh, games is uh, as well. So, you know, it is against all opponents right now, not just FBS. Uh, didn't, I didn't go back and look just versus FBS opponents, but right now, as it stands right now, the Gators are averaging 34.4 points per game right now. Yeah, I think this is this is something where we really, really, really have to give Mullen credit. Yeah. So, you know, I did something a couple of years ago at SEC Country where I looked at teams that were in the top 100 and how effective they were at moving, you know, moving up in terms of their offensive success. And it was like more than 60% of the time 
they didn't become more than a top 50 offense. And right now the offense is ranked. Let's see. What's the offense ranked right now? The offense is ranked 29th. So Mullen has been a major outlier in terms of what offenses typically do. I mean, basically he's, you know, 75th or 80th percentile in terms of offensive improvement at a team because Florida averaged what 20.2 points or something last year. And now they're up to 34. I mean, it's a really, really, really significant improvement, particularly when you factor in the idea that Florida was bringing back all these guys who were part of a lackluster offense last year. And they've brought back all these, I mean, the same offensive line is starting for the most part. It's the same quarterback, similar running backs, um, a little bit of a change at wide receiver, but you know he's basically taken the same personnel and taken them from a laughing stock offense to a top thirty offense in the country. It's really impressive, and not something that you would necessarily predict coming into the season. And you know, I predicted that they would be better. I predicted they'd be, go up to twenty seven, but I, I didn't think they'd be at thirty four. I've been very very impressed. Yeah, twenty four games or twenty four points two years ago and twenty two points last year. So yeah, thirty-four points, thirty-four point four points per game right now for the Florida offense. Uh, defense will over under twenty-one points per game. We come into the season, um, I said uh, under here twenty-one points, and right now they're at sixteen point six points per game right now. Yeah, it's another one of those things where I mean, you know, Florida's earned its six and one record. I yeah. mean, they have they have improved on the offense and defensive side of the ball more than you would more than you would expect teams to do. One of the reasons I was down on Florida this year coming in was that both things had to happen. The offense had to move into, you know, the top 20, top 30, and the defense had to move to the top 20, top 30. And they're right there right now. The offense is ranked 29th and the defense is ranked 27th. That's why the team is ranked <laughs> six and one. And, you know, it, again, it's 61st, impressive. Yeah. 61st and 61st in points per game last year were 27.3 given up. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they are now, I mean, 16 points is probably much higher. I was looking at yards per uh, yards per play, but I'm assuming that they're even better in a points per play basis in terms of what they're giving up. So, you know, they had the one hiccup against Kentucky, but last year they had four or five hiccups and, and really the big plays in the passing game in particular have gone away. I mean, last year, you know, I harped all off season that they needed to return back to being DBU that, you know, everybody was impressed by Wilson and Henderson's season because they made some, you know, they had some interceptions and things like that, but that the, the secondary was giving up eight yards of pass attempt. And so we're ranked something like 105th or something like that. And this year they're 21st. They're giving up 6.3 yards per pass attempt, um, you know, which is fantastic. And that's why the defense has gotten so much better is they're giving up considerably less through the air than they did last year. So again, I, I think it's a, it's a testament to the coaching staff. It's a testament to the players. I think it's also an indictment of the previous coaching staff, but uh, you know, the, the defense has been, again, more unpredictable than it was last year. Um, you know, a schmo like me could figure out what they were doing on defense <laughs> under Randy Shannon. I got to rewind it a lot more this year when I'm watching what Grantham's doing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think there are going to still be some opportunities against bigger teams where, or against better teams where the defense might get burned because of some of the risks that they're taking. I mean, you know, the, the cover zero blitz that they had against Nick Fitzgerald, it worked but it wasn't executed very well. And, you know, against Fromm, that's a touchdown. So, um, you know, hey, it worked. And, you know, they were blitzing against Fitzgerald. So you sort of factor that in. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. I mean, the reason the reason coming in he's known as third and Grantham is because he takes chances. And sometimes those chances don't pay off, but sometimes they do. And, and thus far, he's been able to dial up the right blitz and the right defense every time. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he does against Georgia, though, because Fromm tends to do very well when you blitz, and that's sort of Grantham's nature, and and we'll sort of see what happens when those two things collide. And that plays into the uh, last over-under wheel that we had, and over-under 29 and a half sacks on this one. And I I felt really comfortable with this one. I did take the over there because uh, I had, you know, Florida getting 23 sacks last season, Mississippi State sacked this quarterback 36 times last season. So I was just taking kind of, you know, everything uh, together there. You know, Florida the year before when they kind of actually cared on defense a little bit, had 20, 29 sacks. So I thought Grantham could come in here uh, with the talent Florida had at this defensive end, rushing in position with, with Jefferson, Zuniga, uh, Polite. Um, we've even seen Chauncey Gardner back there. We've seen some corner blitzes. You know, Grantham wants to get to the quarterback and, you know, and, pre- and pressure that quarterback. So right now, 21 sacks right now. They only need nine more <laughs> to, to, to get over that 29 and a half. You know, Polite has sevens and Nigo four and a half. Uh, this one, hopefully, hey, I mean, I doubt it happens, but, you know, it would take a, you know, something you don't really see too, all too often. But if Florida's by, if, if Florida's at 30 seconds by the end of the Georgia game, they're winning that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, we'll take the nine. That's for sure. <laughs> No, you know, it's interesting. You, you look at Polite and Zaniga, and obviously they're the guys who really who really stand out. But you got three sacks for Voshan Joseph, yeah. who, to be honest, was a liability on defense last year, and this year has been a star. I mean, you know, you look at those defensive ends, and I say, okay, those are the guys who um, who are making the plays of the quarterback. But I really think when you look at the guys who make the defense go, it's Voshan Joseph and it's Chauncey Gardner. Yeah. And, and, you know, Gardner's Gardner Johnson has two sacks. Donovan Steiner has a sack. Jeremiah moon has a half sack. CJ Henderson has two sacks. Yeah. And as you just go down the list, it's a bunch of defensive backs getting sacks, <laughs> you know, sort of coming from every angle. I know Bill, you know, Bill Sykes, he's always talked about that coming from different angles and how that would be an advantage for, for Florida and the Grantham defense and, and really that unpredictability. I mean, you know, it's great that Florida has the athletes where they can have um, Zuniga and, and polite beat somebody around the edge. Um, certainly, I think they picked up their game when CC Jefferson came back. Same thing with Voshan Joseph when David Reese came back, and those guys are very good players. But, you know, when you really talk about the game changers this year, I, I think one of the things that's really made – Florida's defense better both in the pass rush but just overall is now they got a linebacker who can cover a tight end and Joseph and they've sort of freed him up to allow him to do that and I think in many cases being able to come from a bunch of different angles is why they've been able to get all those sacks well Paul Feinbaum said today Florida didn't have a chance in this game coming up well, I mean, it, I've never listened to anything Feinbaum said, so that's. I always saw it because it got shared. Because it got shared like crazy on Twitter. I don't really listen to him either. <laughs> I mean, he—he's the Skip Bayless of college football, isn't he? Sort of, sort of, just throwing out something ridiculous. I mean, that's Florida, crazy, Paul. I mean, Flo- Florida has a chance. I mean. It, at the end of the day, you look at it and and the fumbles that they're forcing in many cases have been earned. Um, you know, they're four percent of their of their sacks uh, as a ratio for total tackles, ten point two percent of their tackles for loss per total tackles. I think they're going to be able to put some pressure on from. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be a blowout one way or the other. But to say Florida doesn't have a chance, I think, is ignoring the st- statistical profiles of the team. This isn't like last year where Georgia had a top 10 offense and defense and Florida had sort of a middling defense and a 100th ranked offense. And basically we were just like, well, I hope it's not 45 points. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was really sort of, you know, last year was more figuring out could we beat the spread. This year I think is, you know, Florida's Florida's a seven-point underdog, I think, 
I think that's generous. I, think I mean, that, it was it was how fast can we get to the clock to be zero 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 and get Jim McElwain out of here? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, well, by the end, that was definitely true. Um, you know, but I, again, I, I go back to it and say, yes, there are some places where Georgia has advantages, but I don't think there are any places where those advantages can't be overcome by Florida playing more disciplined, by Florida not having penalties, uh, by Florida coming out and sort of punching them in the mouth to start with. I, you know, th- this game isn't something where you look at it and say, oh, one team's clearly better than the other from a statistical profile. Like, I think there are places where you can say Georgia's better. I think mm-hmm. there are places where you can say Florida's better. And that's not something you could say last year. So, you know, I, do I expect Florida to win? You know, I, 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 th- I expect it to be close, I guess is, is, is what I'd say. And so um, if nothing else, that's, that's going to make it really, really fun to watch. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it ends up. Yeah. Well, it's um, the city's buzzing already about, about this game. So it's going to, it's going to be fun here in Jacksonville this week. Well, yeah, you got game day and you got sec nation. So wh- yeah. which one are you, are you covering one specifically? Or are you just, uh, you just walking around getting drunk downtown? Um, whichever one is closest to my tailgate. <laughs> ah, so you're just walking around getting drunk. Is that, is that, is that the, is that uh, the, I'll, I'll stay by the truck. Mostly. I won't walk around too much though. So the, uh, Jacksonville Gator club, they'll have a tailgate. Um, not too far from where I part. They there's at the arena. I think I saw on Facebook today. So, Oh, I wish I was going to this one. I'm coming down for the one next week. So, uh, right. you know, that that'll be exciting to go and go and see them live. I always enjoy seeing the team. Always enjoy being back home, but, uh, you know, I'll I'll be there in spirit with you there, buddy, watching from my couch. There we go. Your couch sweeter. <laughs> That's what I'll be doing during the game, man. I'll I'll be looking at formations and uh, you know, tweeting out questions. <laughs> oh yeah, that should be fun. Will anything else? Uh like I said, I know uh we talked behind the scenes you have a Jake Fromm kind of preview article coming out this week, and I'm assuming your preview article as well for the the entire game. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get something out tonight, actually, that's going to detail sort of how to stop from um, looking at that LSU game and what happened on the film. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, a little bit more detailed preview article coming later in the week, um, sort of back to back. But uh, um, you know, like I, I'm still recovering from jet lag. I, I need that eagle energy, <laughs> man, to, to, to help me out. There we go. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so last last night I fell asleep on the couch instead of instead of putting together the, the film. So So tonight I'm going to get it done. There we go. There we go. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.